Well, once again, good morning, everyone. I pray that everybody is well. So as I said, I'm going to continue on a word that I shared a few weeks back, which was entitled, Hungering and Thirsting for God, His Kingdom, and His Presence. Now, I've got a time. I don't really want to go too much into a recap. I want to try and get as far as to the end of this word as possible, as the Lord leads. But I do want to share a few things and a few scriptures that I touched on when I shared this word before. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. John chapter 4, verse 14 says, Whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. John 6, 35 said, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. John chapter 7, 37 to 38 says, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. It says, Come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? and your labor on what does not satisfy. Thank you. Psalm 63.1 O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Revelation 22.17 The spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. Exodus 22, 14 says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest, says the Lord. And finally, James 4, 8 says, come near to me or draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Amen. I mean, I could go on. There are so many scriptures that depict the importance of God's presence. You have so many different characters in the Bible. The Apostle Paul, Moses, David, different individuals that are recognizing that the presence of God is priority. I see every single one of us has a desire for something. Every one of us has a priority. There are things that we prioritize over other things. But in that list of priorities in your life, the presence of God and the things of God and his kingdom, where is that amongst your priorities? You know, I looked online recently and I, I, I saw a, uh, a survey that was uh, given in, in Forbes magazine, you know, Forbes magazine, which is a magazine about 
these affluent uh, individuals. And they asked the readers of this magazine um, to describe eight things that uh, people that they desperately desire or they find that hard to attain in life. Uh, interestingly enough, I'll go through what the, what, what the eight things were. Eight things that they said that they, that they found desperate to desire in terms of life and at times that they can't seem to attain. These were the eight things that, they, that, that came up. The first thing was happiness. The second thing was money. The third was freedom. The fourth was peace. And in this order, by the way, the fifth was joy. The sixth was balance in life. The seventh was fulfillment. And the eighth one was confidence. See, I'm sure that many of us can relate to all of these things. Could not be finding who doesn't want to have peace and fulfillment and money, as well as all the other things, confidence, balance, etc., etc., etc. But these were the things that, when they did this survey, these are the things that came up for these different individuals that, that subscribed to this magazine, that they felt that they, this, this was their desire in life. Their desire was to have happiness, to have money, to have fulfillment, balance to have confidence, have peace. These were the things that, that, that were their priority. Now the fact of the matter is, is that all of these eight things and beyond are all attainable when we seek God's kingdom first. When we have a desire, a hunger and a thirst for God because he's the one that provides all of these things. But see, unfortunately, what happens is that when we start living our lives and we start going through the, 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 the mill of life, the focus shifts at times from having a focus on God as a child of God to focusing on other things. And we, we seem to get our, almost like our identity from the other things that we focus on. Philippians 3.10, it says this. It says, and this is Paul saying this. It says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. See, the Apostle Paul caught the revelation. He said that I may know him. Not being funny, do you think Paul didn't want money? He didn't want balance in his life. You think Paul didn't want confidence when he spoke before people and shared the gospel? You think Paul didn't want peace? All the same list of things that the people in the Forbes magazine uh, wanted. Paul, just like us, wanted all of those things. But yet he had a revelation. And the revelation was that I may know him. And my prayer as I go through this word is that we too will have that desire to know the Lord. I'm telling you, when you know him, everything else falls into place. When you have a desire for him and the things of his kingdom, everything else is in order. But the issue is that we focus on the other things first and then we try to add God on as a result of it. And it doesn't work. So with that, I've listed seven things that we can do that can help us maintain a desire and appetite for the kingdom of God. And to be fair, all of these things, you know them already. But the key is that making them a, a lifestyle in your life. That is the key. 
Because sometimes you can hear information. And you're like, oh, please, I've heard that before. But I would challenge you to say, because you've heard it before, but what are you doing about it? How are you applying that information? Because the Bible said there's nothing new under the sun. Somebody else can come and be preaching and sharing different things. And sometimes we, we hear a word and we're like, wow, that word's amazing. But to be fair, the same word that you've heard before. They may come from a different angle. They may interpret a scripture differently in a way that you've not heard of it before. But it's the same thing that's being said to you, but in a particularly different type of a way. But the key is this, as I said, how are you applying what you have heard? How are you applying? Every one of us, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. Me, I don't have 25, like I'm different. Everybody has the same 24 hours. But what do we do with that time? Some people, they make, make tremendous use of that whole 24 hours and they achieve a particular amount of things. Other people, before they know it, it's like it's already 12 midnight and they haven't even done anything because they haven't made use of their time. So what are you doing is my question. So seven things that we can do that will help us to have a lifestyle of desiring God's kingdom and his righteousness and the things of God. And the first one is the hardest one. And it's this. Die to self. Die to self. Joshua chapter 22 verse 23 says this. It says, if we have built an altar for ourselves, and underscore that word, if we have built an altar for ourselves to turn away from the Lord. This was Joshua sharing this word. And he's talking about an altar that was built. And the altar that was built was supposed to be to honor God. But instead, the altar was for the people. It was for themselves. Now, see, an altar represents different things in the Bible, and I'll just quickly go into it. An altar represented, represents uh, sacrificing things to God, giving God your best. An altar represents uh, humility and acknowledging that you need God. When you make an altar, it's a, it's a way of acknowledging and, and, and giving God the honor that he deserves. You're showing God that you totally depend on him when you have an altar. But just as Joshua alluded to in that, in that scripture, it is possible that we can build altars to ourselves, that we can make the things around us and even our very own selves an altar. And when we do so, you're actually robbing God of the place that God should be in. So that's why the standard that Jesus sets when it comes to uh, living for him is a high standard. And it's in this scripture kind of defines that. Matthew 16, verse 24, it says this. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. I'll say it again. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. We're talking about dying to self here. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. 
He's talking about his cross. We know that Jesus died on a cross. We know that. But the Bible's talking about your own cross. So when Jesus was on the cross, he gave his life, he sacrificed, he died. This scripture talking about your own cross that God wants you to, uh, to, to have symbolically. And on that cross, you are encouraged to die to yourself. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, if you live, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Note the words, put to death. So talking about putting to death the deeds of the body. You see, this is the challenge about dying to self. Because look in the mirror, you'll see the person that at times is the main barrier between you either making progress on anything because of the way that we are, because of the habits that we have, because of our ego, because of our, our desires that are very selfish a lot of the time. We are the ones that stop us from making progress when it comes to anything concerning our lives. And the interesting thing about your, your self is this, is that your flesh, which is that part of you that just wants things uh, in relation to things that are contrary to the things of God. Your flesh, your flesh will not willingly just allow you to serve God. It doesn't work like that. Your flesh won't just stop you and be like, okay, you know what, Yeah, you go ahead and pray. You go ahead and just read the Bible, etc. Your flesh will daily be battling you, daily opposing you, deliberately to stop you from knowing God for yourself. So to be fair, the main way to oppose your flesh and to stop your flesh from controlling your life and dying to self is through prayer. And I encourage you all to spend time in prayer and ask the Lord, Lord, help me to die to my own fleshly desires. Help me to die to the, the, the ego that I have for, for the things that are outside of, of your kingdom. So what am I saying? I'm saying the choice is yours. So with regards to building the altar, we need to build the altar to God. Make the Lord the ultimate, our priority, rather than building the altar for ourselves. We've got a time to quickly move on. So the second thing again, that we can do to give ourselves a desire and a hunger for the things of God is to ask God, first and foremost, ask him to give you a thirst and a hunger for him and also to receive it as a gift. So you ask him first and foremost, but when you ask him, you receive it as a gift. So the starting point is to ask, Lord, give me a hunger and a desire for you for your kingdom. See, God respects our decisions and he respects our will. If you ask anybody for something, you're, you're, you're indirectly showing to the person that there's a desire there. So by asking God, Lord, give me a hunger and a thirst for you. By asking him, you're demonstrating to God that there's a, there's a, a will within you 
that wants to receive that, uh, a hunger and thirst for him. But then in addition to that, by receiving this hunger and thirst as a gift, what you are doing by default is that you are demonstrating value in that hunger and in that thirst. Because if you receive a gift from somebody, what do you do? You show appreciation. It doesn't matter, not being funny, it doesn't really matter how much that gift cost. If someone just went out of their way to give a gift to you, randomly, it wasn't your birthday, it wasn't nothing to do with anything, someone gave you a gift. The method that gave you a gift, you would treasure it thinking, wow, the person thought of me, blah, 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 etc. You would treasure that thing. And it's the same with, the, with having a hunger and a desire for the things of God. So as you ask him, receive it as a gift. Say, Lord, I want to treasure this gift of having a hunger and a thirst for you and for your kingdom. Because when you do that, you appreciate what you have. You're giving honor to the fact that this is, a, this is something that I, I want to value. Having that hunger and desire. I'm not being funny. The way that the world is, the business that we all have, if we do not receive it in that way, what you would do is what most people do, is that rather than receiving it as a gift and treasuring it, you will receive that hunger and that thirst like someone giving you 50p or 20p. When in your mind, let's say you need like a thousand pounds and someone just says, yeah, here, take 20p. Not being funny. Are you going to give any value to that 20p? When you need the thousand pounds right now and someone's giving you 20p, it has no significance because you know you need this amount of money and someone's only giving you that amount. So what will you do? You just be like, please, let me, let me work out how I can make this, get this thousand pounds. That's the mindset that we will have to it because we're not giving that thing the value and, the and making it a treasure the way that it's supposed to be. So I'm encouraging you that when it comes to the gift of the things of God, when it comes to having a hunger and a thirst for him, receive it as a gift, but also to ask him first. The third thing that we can do to receive increase in our hunger and desire for the things of God and his kingdom is to ground yourself in the fear of the Lord. Ground yourself in the fear of the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord is, 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 a, is a topic that you have to give time to kind of understand what it means. Because sometimes you hear the word fear without kind of recognizing what it means. Because fear is not just, when you talk about fear of the Lord, it doesn't just mean, oh Lord, I'm so scared of you. Uh, I'm just scared. There is an element of being scared in, in the sense of that you recognize who he is. You recognize that there is a, there's an awesomeness about God that is scary. That God can decide. The Bible says that he, you know, he gives and takes away. God created us, and then God can then decide that our lives are over. So there's a fear of recognizing who he is. But the fear we're talking about is more that it's more the respect and the reverence that we should have for God as our Father. Look what the scripture says, um, Proverbs 9:10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Wisdom is an amazing thing that the Bible speaks about. When the world was created, God created the world by speaking it 
but there was also the spirit of wisdom as he created the world. That's how powerful wisdom is. But the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So sometimes, how can you think, how does that relate? How can fearing God bring wisdom? But that's what his word says. When you recognize and give God the reverence and honor that he deserves, he will give you wisdom, which means that in every situation, you will know and will have the, the, the knowledge that you need in order to address any situation. So when you're grounded in the fear of the Lord, what happens is that you want your, your life to bless him. For his sake, not your own. And your hunger for him is fueled by knowing that Jesus is the very center of our foundation rather than ourselves. When you're grounded in, in the fear of the Lord, you want God to be glorified in your life. You want the Lord to receive the praise, not yourself. Because that's what fear does. Now, sometimes people can come to you, and especially when you're doing things within God's kingdom. And maybe you pray for somebody and the person's healed, or you, you, know, you, you, you hear something that you feel that the Lord wants to share with, that you want to share with somebody. And you go and give them that word. And then the person is, wow, what you said is spot on, brilliant. Fantastic, you just giving me a solution, blah, blah, blah. And then you hear, you, you, you receive the way the person has received that word. And then what your flesh does, it makes you think that, okay, it's me that gave that word. Rather than forgetting that God is the one that has used you to share that word with somebody. Or that God has used you to go and pray for somebody and that person receive healing. But instead, the flesh will do something within you to make you think it's you. But the way to counteract that is by Receiving the fear of the Lord. Because God's fear makes you recognize, listen, my, my son, it's not you, it is me, and I'm working through you. So it keeps you grounded, the fear of the Lord. And as we live a life worthy of the Lord Jesus, as we live and as we try to uh, draw close to the Lord, what happens is that a deep hunger for God begins to overwhelm you as you increase in the fear and the hunger of the things of God. Number four, I want to quickly whiz through these and I want, then I want to pray. Again, something that we know already. Read the Bible to develop a lasting hunger. We all know that we should read the Bible. I'm not being funny. How often do we read it? It's a struggle that I have at times myself. Putting time aside to read the word. The Bible says that everything that we need to know in life is in the word. Everything, not, not some things, everything pertaining to life and godliness. Every solution, every idea about how to necessarily reign in, in, in life. Everything to do with how to, to live a child of God. It's all in the word. It's all there. But yet, in terms of the time that we spend, as I said to you before, we all have 24 hours. How much of that time do we spend in God's word? Now, me and my hand is up. I don't spend definitely nowhere near as much time as I should. But see, these are keys that we need to put into play. And I said before, we know these things, but what are we doing about them? How often are we deliberate in putting time aside to spend time in God's word? He 
Hebrews 4, 12 to 13 says, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Just, just look at that. Through reading God's word, you can, through the Holy Spirit, discern someone's intentions. So, for example, you're at work. Your boss says a particular thing to you. They say it in one way, but because you've read the word and the Holy Spirit is working through you, even though he said it in one way, you can hear the intention of what, that, what your boss is trying to say. This is the word of God. It says, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Do you realize the advantage that you have through God's word? Sometimes I don't think we recognize the advantage that we have through the Holy Spirit, through the word of God. So there's no, no creature hidden from his sight. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is not just saying that all things are open to God himself, but it's saying that as you spend time in God's word, the same access that God has for his eyes to, for his eyes to be open to everything is the same access that we and you and I have to see things, to hear things that other people do not even hear. This is the privilege that we have through the word of God. And it summarizes the value of God's word. You know, as I was preparing for this word, I'm saying everything, every one of these things I'm saying, Lord, give me a desire for your word. Give me a desire to spend time in prayer. Give me a desire for your presence. Because as I said already, every single thing that you, that you are believing for in your life, it comes through, the Lord is not going to be the one to give, it, give you those things. If you want the Lord to give you those things, it's through seeking him first. But if you want those things yourself, you will get them one way or another. But I question, did God give you those things? Or did you seek them for yourself? So my encouragement for you this morning is to desire the things of God. Desire his presence. Number five, very quickly. Express your devotion through prayer. Again, we all know this. Spending time in prayer. It's a challenge, but we need to do it. Giving time to seek God in prayer. Everyone prays differently. But we need to develop our own time and our own way in seeking God in prayer. It's a discipline that God has put in play. But see, when our hearts are devoted to Jesus and our hearts are devoted to the things of God, where at times prayer can become almost like a robotic act, where it can become just it can become a bit monotonous, just a bit boring. It's like it's just you just your lips are moving or in your heart you're 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 communicating, but your mind is elsewhere. At times it can be like that. It doesn't feel like there's a connection. But see, when our hearts are devoted to the Lord, our thirst and our hunger for him grow. So when you pray, 
you feel, even though at times that naturally that connection may not be there, spiritually that connection is always there when you pray. So your prayer, rather than becoming a chore, it becomes a deep pleasure when you seek him in prayer. And I encourage you that every time you spend time, that you ask the Lord to increase that desire and that hunger to spend time in his presence in prayer, seeking his face in prayer. Number six is to let encounters fuel your hunger. Let encounters with God fuel your hunger. See, encounters with God are where, is where our faith becomes a reality. Somebody asked me recently, um, how do I know that the Christian faith is, you know, the real faith? Because there are so many other beliefs and stuff out there. And I said, I said to them, it's through your encounters. Nobody can deny an encounter that you have had with God. Because it is your encounter with God. And when we encounter God in different ways, we meet the person of God. And that's what happens. We get to experience God through that encounter. We get to experience the Holy Spirit through that particular encounter. And every encounter that you have with God, it has the capacity to draw you into more hunger and desire for him. Seriously, just one encounter can change your entire life. Just one small encounter can do that. You know, I'm in my house, it's like any documentary on 9-11, I always watch it. In my, everyone in my house, they kind of, they get cheesed off because every, every time it comes on, I'm always watching it. I'm always, they're like, have you ever seen this before? I'm like, no, I've not seen this particular one. But I'm always watching it. I'm just fascinated just by the documentaries or what have you. Uh, and there's one story of a, of a um, I think it's called, a, there's a particular stairwell. I don't, I don't remember in which um, building that, that collapsed. But there was a particular stairwell where I think four or five people survived. Everything around them obviously collapsed. Everyone within that uh, part of that building, they all died. But all these five people, they survived. And I remember they, they interviewed one of the, the, the women that survived. And she said that when all the dust and everything began to um, subside, that she just saw a huge light. And at that point, she thought she was dead. She was touching her body uh, to see where she, she couldn't even recognize kind of, you know, whether her body was, in, was, was intact or not. But she saw this huge white light. And as she saw the light, immediately a, 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 an impression came that this is Jesus speaking to her. So she was asking, am I dead? Jesus, am I with you? And Jesus didn't speak back to her. Um, but she said that she then got up from where she wa was and the light began to, she, she was able to see, because at the time, those of you that have seen the, these documentaries, there was literally um, all the debris and everything was around. And because the, uh, the kind of the, the, the dust was so strong, visibility was, was poor. So she saw this light and began to walk not knowing where she was going. And as she was walking, after a few minutes, she then heard other people, which was the, um, the, the fire uh, brigade people. 
And eventually they saw her and then they, they rescued her. And then she took them back to where the other people were that were with her and they rescued them. But she was saying that at the time, she was wondering, why did I even feel to follow this light? Because she had no strength. And she thought that when, when she went to the hospital and they did a test on her, her legs everywhere was broken. She didn't even know, even know how she managed to walk. But for somehow she found this strength just to follow this light. And the light led her to the fire rescue team. And as a result, she was there rescued. And then they went back and they rescued the people that were with her. She then said that that was an encounter with God. This is her own words. That was an encounter with God that she had. And that encounter has literally changed her whole life. Now, that was a very dramatic encounter, as you can imagine. But many of us have had different encounters with God in different ways. I remember one encounter that I had when I was in school. I remember this. I used to walk home, um, and there was a dual carriageway um, on this long, long, long road I used to walk down by myself. And I used to play this silly game with myself that I'll close my eyes when I'm walking. Imagine this. I'll close my eyes when I, when I was walking, and I would try to see if I could stay in a straight line as I'm walking. Meanwhile, I'm on a dual carriageway, and there are cars flying up the road. So one time, I did this. And I walked for maybe five or six seconds. When I opened my eyes, my foot was already in the road, and a massive truck was coming. And the thing was, something was saying to me, no, no, keep your eyes closed for longer. But somebody said, no, no, let me open my eyes. As I opened my eyes, my foot was already in the road. This truck was coming towards me. The truck was going, bee, and I just jumped out of the way. I was like, wowzers, that could have been me finished at the age of 11. That was an encounter, because I felt somebody say to me, open your eyes now and see where you are. That was an encounter that I had. And at that time, I wasn't saved. I had a relationship issue with God. That made me recognize that, listen, where did that thought come from? Because that just came from nowhere. Open my eyes, I heard that clearly. That was an encounter. And that, from there, I began to just question I need to spend time just praying, listening to, to read the, reading the Bible, trying to understand God for myself. And by God's grace, through that, he helped me draw closer to him. Now, many of us, I'm sure, have had different encounters with God. Use that encounter to get to know him more. Use that, those encounters to draw yourself closer to him so that he can increase that hunger and desire within you. Wow, my time is gone. Okay, if we can please stand. I just want to pray. I've said many things about hunger and the desire for the Lord. If you are here and you recognize that your hunger and your desire for God is not where it should be, and you want that desire and that hunger to increase, I want you to raise your hands right now. I want to pray with you. By raising your hands, you are saying, Lord, I want you to increase me with a hunger and a desire for you, a hunger and a desire for your kingdom, a hunger and a desire for your presence. If that is you, raise your hands, and I want to pray with you that God will release a fresh desire, a fresh hunger for him, for his kingdom, for his presence. Thank you, Father. Heavenly Father, you see these ones with raised. And Lord, I understand agreement with them right now. And I pray that, Lord, as they have recognized, oh God, their need for an increase in the desire to know you, that right now that you would touch them afresh, 
that you will pour fresh oil of your spirit upon them, that you will give them a new desire to seek you, a new desire, oh God, presence, a new desire to read your word, a new desire to spend time in your presence, to spend time in prayer, a new desire, oh God, to increase in the reverent fear of you, a new desire, Father God, to know you more. I pray that even the encounters that they have had increase these encounters. Let them know you for themselves on a deeper level in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that you will touch them with this desire and that, Lord, that they will never be the same. I also pray against every plan of the enemy that are sought to distract, that are sought to bring uh, areas of life, oh God, that has turned them away from you, that has removed and taken or, or, or hindered their desire for the things of you. I come against it right now in the name of Jesus. And I pray, oh God, from this moment onwards, that Lord, that you will touch these ones with a fresh desire for you and for your kingdom. Touch them by the power of your spirit, oh God, and cause them to draw close to you like never before. We give you thanks and we give you praise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.